0: Point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you, but only for a short time. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go, that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you'll look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed at him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing the words, some of the people said, surely, this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the time where David lived? Thus, the people were divided of Jesus because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any? or the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this man that knows nothing of this law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Right.
1: Well thank you so much for reading there. Do you keep your Bibles open and um, if you're following along on the handout there's some um, key points on there as well. Well I'd love to begin this morning with um, a, sto- a couple of stories about rejection now, we've all been there, haven't we? Whether it's that girl, that guy, that job, that audition. We've all had experiences about rejection. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the rejection of Jesus. About 15 years ago, I started at university, and that's hard to believe. Um, and I can honestly say that it was one of the best times of my life. I met some of the best people. Um, i'd come across they were loving caring loyal about halfway through my second year or so uh, i came i became a christian and everything changed suddenly a number of uh, my friends started to treat me slightly differently started to act differently towards me they were happy with me as long as it meant they had nothing to do with jesus one of my best friends said "I'm, i'm really really happy for you but please don't talk to me about Jesus. I'm not interested. Here was one of my best friends point blank rejecting Jesus. And it was so disheartening to be honest with you. And I know my wife Lynn as well has had similar experiences as well. A close family member recently told her that he just didn't want to engage with anything to do with Jesus. Now, it's hurtful, isn't it, that when people that you love, people that you uh, care for, people that you respect, reject Jesus. Especially when they don't know what he's really like. But it's a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it, when it comes to people who know better. I want you to meet Joshua Harris, um, pastor of a megachurch, age 30, and best-selling author It's actually the um, author of a book that was one of my first Christian books, actually, I ever read. Um, He gave hundreds of sermons about Jesus. But a couple of years ago, um, Harris published this Instagram post. I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Now here we have a pastor, a leader, someone whose job it was to look at the scriptures day in and day out. Someone whose job it was to tell people about Jesus. And what does he do? Even he ends up rejecting Jesus. When Jesus is rejected by our friends, Jesus is rejected by our family, Jesus is rejected by the so-called experts like Harris, it's so crushing, isn't it? Why would we side with Jesus? Why side with a rejected Jesus? Well, our text in uh, John chapter 7 today is here to help us with that question. And it's also um, to help us m- um, make, make us people who don't distance ourselves from Jesus, but, insel- but instead boldly draw ourselves to him and side ourselves with him. And we're going to see two reasons why we should side with a rejected Jesus today. One about Jesus and one about his opponents. So why side with a rejected Jesus? Well, firstly, Jesus offers life in abundance. Jesus offers life in abundance. Let me read from verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival. Now, before I go on uh, to read the rest of the passage and to explain the rest of the passage, I think it's important to set the scene. This was a huge festival in the Jewish calendar. With the scale of say, imagine Glastonbury or something like that. The atmosphere in the city is electric, hundreds of thousands of people are packed into the city of Jerusalem. And they're all there to celebrate and remember when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. And more specifically, they're remembering and celebrating God's provision for them in the wilderness. When God provided water from the rock, And they would read from Exodus 17 to remember what God had done in the past and what they hoped he would do in the future. But then as we continue in verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them now you can hear a pin drop imagine it's the last day of Glastonbury imagine you've been waiting all day for Stormzy to come up onto the stage and then some random guy turns up well Jesus stands up in one of the biggest festivals in the Jewish calendar and says it's all about me can you imagine the audacity and he makes this offer using a water metaphor. So let's look at verse 37 and 38 again. First being quenched and flowing rivers, Jesus' offer is abundant provision, just like the Exodus God. Now a few years ago, I was in the nightmare situation where uh, the water stopped in our flats, uh, twisted the tap and just a trickle. Uh, went for a shower, pulled the lever, and just a few drops of water from the shower heads. But the description of Jesus' offer here is the complete opposite. Gushes of water coming out of your tap, gushes of water coming out of the shower head. Rivers, not just one river, but rivers, plural. Plentiful provision that Jesus is offering. It's an abundant provision, but it's also a life-giving, abundant provision. Jesus says rivers of living water will flow from within them. This water that Jesus speaks about that brings life, it's a fitting image, isn't it? Because water is essential for us to uh, to live. And if we went two or three days without it, we wouldn't survive. We need water to live. John chapter 7, verse 38 shows us a picture of the life-giving, abundant provision that Jesus is offering but actually we see this in even higher definition as we look at the Old Testament because Jesus says that this phrase in verse 38 as the scripture has said and one of the places in the Old Testament Jesus is thinking about is Ezekiel 47 you don't need to turn then yeah I think I've got it on the screen there Um, in the the chapter the, 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 the prophet Ezekiel has this vision of water flowing out of the temple And what he wants us to see is that Jesus is the fulfilment of that temple, the one from whom the rivers of water, out of them flow abundant, life-giving water. Let me read from Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 9. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows... Everything will live. So, the effect of this water is that it brings life to what is inside the river. But it's not just inside the river, it brings life to outside the river as well. So, have a look at verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river, their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruits because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Now that last phrase is important, isn't it? Because the water flows from the sanctuary. It's because of this water that the leaves on the trees don't wither, they don't die. And it's because of this water that the trees produce fresh fruit every single month. This river brings life. So what is inside the sea and what is outside the sea, it's a life-giving, abundant provision. Jesus offers life in abundance. And we can see, can't we, that this life, this, this offer is better than anything that the world offers. The world might offer you the partner of your dreams. <laughs> Being with the one, the, the one that we click with, you can spend all your time with. The world might offer you the holiday of your dreams, banking the best and most stunning Instagram reels, and going on the most exciting adventures for weeks on end. The world might offer you all of that for a really long time, maybe years and years. But Jesus' offer is far, far better than all of that. Jesus doesn't just offer you a life with a partner of your dreams. Jesus offers life with God, our creator, the creator of this world, in a relationship where he was, that we were made for, and a relationship that, where he knows exactly what we're like and loves us no matter what. Jesus doesn't just offer the holiday of our dreams. Jesus offers a new and better world where evil is completely cast out. And Jesus doesn't just offer it for a really, really long time, a number of years. Jesus offers this forever. Eternal life where things don't wither, things don't die. Jesus offers life in abundance. Now, if you're here today and you're wondering for one moment, I wonder what, um, you're wondering whether the grass might be greener on the other side of Jesus. Well, it doesn't come close. Cling to Jesus, Jesus offers life in abundance. But I guess the question we need to ask next is, is Jesus' offer a genuine offer? Or is it like one of these pop-ups that say, you've won £10,000, click here and redeem your money. And when you press on the link, um, you end up getting a virus and you end up getting even more spam. Is Jesus' offer just an empty scam that won't deliver on its promises? Because given what we've heard about the rejection of Jesus, both today and in Jesus' day, I guess many sceptics, maybe even many so-called experts in the world, would say, no, it's not. Jesus' claims about himself are are a bit ridiculous and a bit absurd. Jesus' offer is a fake. But here's a key question and a lot hinges on it do they have good reason to say no to say Jesus your offer is a fake do they have good reason to say that well that's what we're going to see in our next point point. and what we're going to see is that in Jesus's day they didn't have good grounds to reject him which brings us on to our second point Our second reason to side with Jesus with a rejected Jesus. Jesus' opponent's rejection is irrational. Jesus' opponent's rejection is irrational. And this idea of rejection of Jesus is is running all the way through the passage and all the way through this section of chapter 5 to 10. We see Jesus' Jesus' opponents uh, question him. We see Jesus' opponents try to arrest him. We see Jesus' opponents even try to kill him. But what we're going to see is that the reason Jesus' opponents reject him and his offer, and perhaps surprisingly, we're going to see that these so-called experts, the teachers of the day, miss and overlook the evidence about Jesus. I'm going to see three ways in which they do that. Firstly, they miss and overlook the evidence of Nicodemus. Let me read from verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, "Why didn't you bring him in?" So the guards have been sent from the uh, the chief priests, by the chief priests and the and the Pharisees to arrest Jesus, and they're a bit frustrated with these guards because they've come back to them, and these guards haven't brought Jesus with them at all. Let me read on from verse 46. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. So these Pharisees, they're trying to persuade these gods that it would be a silly thing to believe in Jesus. They're saying those crowds, those commoners, maybe they'd fall for all that Jesus rubbish. But actually, us religious experts, us spiritual specialists, we would never fall for that stuff because we know our Old Testaments. We know the Scriptures. But the irony is in the very next verse because here's where we meet Nicodemus and he's a Pharisee and not only that he's a Pharisee who seems to be siding with Jesus and so the Pharisees are wrong aren't they they say none of us religious authorities believe this guy Jesus when actually Nicodemus is standing up standing there and he seems to be sticking up for Jesus So their reason to reject him doesn't stand up. Firstly, they overlook the evidence of Nicodemus. And secondly, they overlook the evidence of Jesus himself. Let's take a look at verse 50. Nicodemus, who who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? to find out what he'd been doing. Now Nicodemus is saying, you Pharisees aren't giving him a fair hearing. You Pharisees aren't even learning about what he does. You're not considering and weighing up what Jesus is saying and trying to work out whether actually, the point, whether these scriptures actually point to who he is. But the truth of the matter is, they've got their fingers in their ears and their eyes shut. They're not willing to consider the evidence of Jesus for themselves. And finally, this may be the most shocking of the three pieces of evidence, because the Pharisees, these so-called experts, they overlook the evidence even in their scriptures. So let me read the Pharisees' response to Nicodemus, picking up from verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So they reject Jesus because he's from Galilee. And they claim that in the Old Testament, no prophet has ever come from this place called Galilee. And so he can't be the prophet that he claims to be. But they're just plain wrong. Jonah, you know the prophet who was swallowed up by that big whale, big, big fish, was from Galilee. They completely missed and completely overlooked the evidence of their scriptures. So, just like the evidence of Nicodemus, their reason to reject him doesn't stand up at all. They don't reject him with good grounds. Perhaps someone from another religion uh, might say it doesn't make sense for God to become a man. So Jesus can't say who Christians say He is. Rejecting Jesus is just a matter of following the evidence. Or maybe a non-religious person would say that it makes sense for God to—it doesn't even make sense for God to exist. I so Jesus can't be who Christians say He is. Rejecting Jesus is just a matter of following the evidence. But actually what we see in these verses is that rejecting Jesus and his offer is actually not a matter of following the evidence. For them then, it was missing and overlooking the evidence. And so rejecting Jesus was irrational for them then. Jesus' opponents Rejection is irrational. And the same can be said for us today, can't it? And look, if you're here as a Christian here today, I, I, I want to say that this is a great cause of confidence to keep siding with Jesus. Because it's tempting, isn't it? It's, with, with, with all this rejection that we're hearing, it's tempting to distance ourselves from Jesus. Or perhaps dilute our belief in Jesus or even to deny our belief in Jesus. It's so tempting, isn't it? But I hope this, re- this passage has given us a reason not to distance ourselves to him, but to draw ourselves to him and side ourselves with him. Jesus' offer is wonderful, isn't it? His, he offers life in abundance better than anything the world offer, offers. And it's a real offer, isn't it? Even the so-called experts of Jesus' day didn't have good reasons to reject him. Well, if you're not here as a Christian this morning, you're very welcome. Do come and chat to me at the end or Richard. Perhaps you're in the room and you think that this Jesus is just a prophet. Okay, fine, he's just a good teacher, but nothing more. Well, it's worth asking, have you looked at the evidence have you read one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life as a thinking adult? If not, as Richard mentioned, we would love to invite you to one of our Christianity Explored courses as a video and discussion course. It's a really great opportunity to ask any question you like and to investigate the eyewitness accounts. Do come and speak to Richard at the end if, if, if that's for you. We'd, we'd love you to join. Or why side with a rejected Jesus? Well remember this. Jesus offers life in abundance, and Jesus' opponent's rejection of him is irrational. Let me close with John chapter seven, verse thirty seven. Jesus stands up and says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them this offer is for everyone in this room today whoever you are whatever your story jesus offers you a better glory let me pray Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much um, for the Lord Jesus and this incredible offer of life in abundance. Father, we can't fathom really how brilliant this offer is. Um, we just thank you so much that you have sent the Lord Jesus to provide it for us. Father, we pray that also we would gain confidence and strength from the fact that people who, lots of people who reject him actually haven't really considered the evidence father we pray that you would make us all really trust you and have even more confidence in you in jesus name we pray amen